we have truly developed a connection with our, our listeners. And now as we come to the end of this ninth season, having done this for almost now uh, 25 months, um, it's, uh, it's quite something, um, the journey we have been on. And here today we uh, want to share with our listeners that we are intending to take a break after this because we feel uh, we need to refresh, reflect, and then restart uh, as, as we shall be moved into the future. Pastor, welcome back. Uh, we pick up here really on this episode uh, at a very interesting point because from last week as we were looking at Daniel uh, making the prayer for God to intercede in the circumstances that the children of Israel were facing and getting the message that uh, Gabriel was being blocked and, and really this gave us a, a picture of what goes on in the spiritual world in the spiritual world even yes. as we put our prayers across and, and really seek for God to intervene in the physical world it, it may help us un- to understand why sometimes our prayers seem not to be answered and it's taking so long for God to answer it is because there are forces that God has to contend with that the angels have to contend with to answer some of our prayers and some someone might say, well, if God is all-powerful and almighty, why is Satan even able to oppose him? Simply because God has chosen to limit the use of his power in terms of coercion. God is not a God of, of coercion. Right. He doesn't force anyone. So wherever a prayer needs somebody to, in, to do something, and then God has to persuade and use the powers of persuasion because he is not a God of coercion. Yeah, and that was a very interesting uh journey or an understanding to develop even as we look at this very prophetic book because that was a very practical uh, sort of immediate uh, uh, knowledge about how God operates in our world. Yes. And so jumping from that because I think as the book moves along we, we, we see different layers and sides to this uh, whole layout of the book of Daniel. We are sort of zooming in here today to, to really the details of what has been going on since uh, Daniel 2, the prophecy. Yes. Interestingly enough, the book is written in layers or parallels. So you have Daniel chapter 2 with the image, Daniel chapter 7 with those beasts, those wild beasts, Daniel chapter 8 with the more domesticated beasts, which were the beasts used in the sanctuary service, and we talked about that. And each time, the prophecy took us forward. So in Daniel chapter 2, we see Babylon, the head of gold, in chapter 7, we see Babylon as the lion, but then in chapter 8, there is no Babylon. Why? Because by this time, Babylon is moving off the scene. Mm-hmm. And more details are given for the latter end of the prophecy. So Daniel himself is living in the time of Medo-Persia. He's living in the time of Babylon. So he doesn't need much information there. But as we move away from Daniel, now the telescope, the divine telescope is sort of zooming in and giving us more details. So in chapter 11, we are seeing what happens after the the, gro- the ram with the one horn. Or in chapter 7, it would have been the leopard and this nondescript beast. Now we're seeing what happens between the ram, the goat, sorry, with the long horn and the little horn the details of how this comes about. 
Yeah, and 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 it's very interesting because even as you talk about layers and shades of this story, I think for us this father gives us confidence of the veracity of the details in the book of Daniel. Yes, that that is one of the great reasons why we accept scriptures coming from God, the one who says in Isaiah forty six nine and ten, I declare from the past that which is about to come in the future. He says. I am declaring to you what will happen and nothing will change my word. I will do what I say I will do. So in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, we see both God's foreknowledge and his sovereignty. They act in tandem. So when we look at Daniel and we see all these things happening, we say, wow, God truly is the author of this book and he truly is the great omniscient, the God who knows all things. So perhaps you can look at chapter 10, 20, and 21 to really jump straight in. Chapter 10, 20, and 21, that reads, Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? This is the angel speaking. And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. So this also passed the lines up with the sequence of the kingdoms. Yes. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against this except Michael, your prince. Right. Michael, we will come again to Michael. So we won't touch on Michael right now because there's more about Michael coming up. Yet, he says the prince of Greece is coming. Again, we're not talking about the actual human prince, but the poor behind the politics and the wars and the strife, the enemy. As Jesus Christ himself said, Satan is the prince of darkness, of this world, mm-hmm. of darkness, yeah, but of this world. So when we hear about the prince of Greece or the prince of Persia, let's look beyond the human element to the spiritual powers motivating, driving these political leaders, presidents and kings and, and monarchs. And that that's that's why I guess as even as we study through this book, Pastor, we also have to consistently maintain that view of the level at which it's speaking to, this level of yes. the kingdoms, the powers that be. Because in many cases, we, we try to reduce this to very, uh, how do I put it, very personal experiences, which in some ways may not be very uh, accurate in reflecting the prophecy as it, it's being presented here. Definitely. And the very fact that the angel Gabriel, and not just Gabriel, but the heavenly forces, are fighting the prince of Persia, Satan and his host, then fighting the prince of Greece, is very significant. Because what we are seeing is, whatever happens in the world, Joel, affects you and affects me, who claim to be God's God's, people. God's people. So whatever was happening with Greece, Whatever was happening with Persia, whatever would happen with Rome is going to affect God's people. So he's given Daniel a sense of your people are going to be tossed and turned and go through trials, but I'm still watching over them. I'm still guiding things for them. So remember this. These prophecies given to Daniel don't involve China, right? Or India or the Americas. Why? Because God's people the people that he called out to be his emissaries in the world are living in Palestine, are living in Judea, living in these 
under the, the, the purvey of these powers. That is why these prophecies are focused on these countries. Because that is where God's people are, so to speak. Yeah, and, and God was really using the children of Israel, at least at that point, as, as a, a marker, a case in point, a model of how he was going to deal with his people in a larger context. That was the plan. In fact, giving them that stretch of land was, was a master stroke by God because traffic from the north to the south, traffic from the east to the west would pass through there. So they were in a place where many visitors, many travelers could come and hear about God and see how prosperous and, and harmonious and loving life in Israel was and say, wow, there's a country. Do you remember when Solomon was king? Yes. Even way up from Ethiopia, the queen of Sheba came down because she had heard about his fame. Do you remember when the Israelites were about to cross the Jordan? Rahab, way out in Jericho, had already heard. So Israel was supposed to be God's ambassadors, his messengers to the world of what a great thing it would be to come under God's umbrella of protection. In fact, there are prophecies that say the nations will come and bring their wealth to Jerusalem. The nations will come and will bow down and say, we want to serve your God. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. So that is why we see God exposing to Daniel what his people will go through, the people of God, not only then, but as time went forward. Yeah, and, and I think that's important for us because uh, when even we think as of ourselves in terms of this prophecy, uh, we realize we are not just by part, we, we are not observers of what is our, what God is doing, but we are central to that story as his people. Of course. In fact, what God does has a lot to do with his people, to rescue them, to protect them, sometimes to punish them, but always to watch over them and restore them to that position of care and blessing that was his plan. In fact, when God gave Jeremiah the prophecy that Babylon would want, they come to Jerusalem, would destroy the city and take away people captive and that they would be captive in Babylon for 70 years. God told Jeremiah to tell the Israelites, do not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Pray for Babylon and his leaders because in their prosperity, the world prospers too will be your prosperity. Right. Your prosperity. So pray for the nation because their decisions will have impact your right. life. Right. Okay, yes. Yes. He says, go, build houses, marry, enjoy it, your time in Babylon because you're not coming back in a short while. It's going to be at least 70 years, two generations in Babylon. But while you're there, make the best of it. Do you see God probably talking to us today, living in the 21st century, living in America in any of these countries, he's saying to his people, occupy, live, marry, build houses, enjoy that, but pray for the peace of the country mm-hmm. because their peace, the peace, the prosperity of the nation will be your prosperity. Correct. Yeah, and I think it, it's the kind of perspective uh, a lot of us believers don't have that our actions and our interactions in this immediate society we find ourselves in is part of God's work in transforming the uh, this particular space and time and nation we find ourselves in. For instance, elections are coming up. There's coronavirus, which is 
has come to America and many of us were hoping it would stay over there in the East? How many of us were really praying actively for China, for Japan, for all these other countries when it was over there? How many of us, even when we heard it was in Seattle or California, thought, hey, I'm in the East Coast or whatever have you? How many of us have prayed for our president? Like him or not, have you prayed for him, for his prosperity? How many of us are really praying for the land? God says, you pray for the prosperity of the kingdom. It's a hard prayer to make. And I think more so for uh, people uh, who we share beliefs with our denomination because in many ways we see these as... Uh, as, as, as a, a time and a, a world that is going into hell in a handbasket. And so we, we, we remove ourselves from one, any, any prosperity of this space because for us we're going to a better place. Yes, but while you're here, while you are here, be a useful, productive element of being here. Let your influence, your prayers, your diligence in your work, like Daniel, in other words, be Daniel. And in many ways, yes, be Daniel in many ways to love the people in this moment. Because even Daniel, as we were seeing in, in prior chapters, is crying for his people. He knows he's good. He knows he's set to receive God's favor, but he never sees himself in that light. Yeah, but I'm going beyond Daniel praying for his people. Daniel was faithful to Nebuchadnezzar. Yes. He was faithful to Darius. The Which king. were worldly kingdoms. Yes, people who captured his people and had his people in in slavery. Joseph, be a Joseph, yes. who was faithful to Potiphar. Potiphar said, you know, since this young man came here, my business has gone through the roof. My my prosperity has gone to, to limits. I never imagined I could trust this man with everything. And then when he went to prison, the prison officer said, hey, this, this guy Joseph is a great guy. I don't even have to worry about the prisoners. I could just leave everything in this Joseph's hand. And when Joseph was taken before Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, but this is the great guy I need. I could make him in charge of everything. So notice, wherever Joseph went, he was doing good. He was letting his influence, his diligence, his righteousness impact those around him. And that should be our attitude in any job we go into, whatever country we live in, whoever is ruling our country, it should always be, Lord, let me be a light in a dark place. Why do you think we struggle with that? Why do you think... Many Christians struggle with doing that and, and living out that kind of uh, life. You kind of hinted at it early on when you said most Christians see the world going to hell in a handbasket. So that is those people over there, those worldly, sinful people who God doesn't love, who God is going to destroy. Let me pull aside in my corner. So it's a selfishness, it's a self-centeredness that should not be part of our experience, but it is. Even though we claim to be God's children, there's still that self-centeredness, that I versus you, us versus them. We are better than you because we are God's people. God loves us. He will do things for us. But you, God is going to destroy you. That attitude is what causes many of us to treat people in our neighborhood, the people we meet with scant courtesy, to not really extend ourselves to make this world a better place because in our mind, this is all going to hell in a handbasket, to use your term. 
But there should be a different attitude. All of these are people God loves. And besides, I live here. If coronavirus hits my town, I'm going to be infected. I, I am going to be affected. If the government passes laws that are unjust, I'm going to be affected. So we need to keep that attitude. Daniel shows us how to live in an antagonistic society. Joseph shows us how to live in an in an antagonistic society. Yet and indeed, instead elicit peace and and um, goodwill and goodwill. I like the yes, yeah goodwill. towards its people. And and maybe Pastor, yeah, can you help us then maybe properly nuance this idea of being the remnant? And what, how we need to be the remnant, even as we engage. Hold that for next podcast, because when we come to wind down Daniel, we would see that whole issue of like the remnant coming up more clearly, and we'd be able to use that information to really determine what it means to be a remnant. So hold that for next week. So maybe we should, we should jump straight into chapter 11 or because I'm sure here was the same. But when will they get into chapter 11? Let's look at 1 to 4. That reads, Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I even, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion, and do according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up, and divided toward the four winds of heaven. But not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion, with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others besides this. Right. If you just backtrack slightly, you would realize when we looked at chapter 8, it talked about this, um, or goats away with the f- one big horn that was the first king, and then it was broken up and, and four horns came up afterwards, and it says this was the first king of Greece. Who was the first mighty king of Greece who conquered the world and, and lived uh, what I who conquered the world and at a very young age died? Alexander. Alexander the Great. Right. Died at 32 years of age. So he had no children to take his kingdom. It ended up going to his four generals. Right. And that is why it said it was scattered to the four winds, north, east, west, and south. And so these four generals are the ones who took over after Alexander. So basically, God isn't even speaking about Persia, even though we are in the Persian kingdom, because the next great movement will be the rise of Greece. Then let's go from verse, let's say, 5 to 14. 5 all the way to 14 reads, Also, the king of the south shall become strong, as well as one of his princes, and he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. And at the end of some years they shall join forces. For the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of her authority. And neither he nor his authority shall stand. But she shall be given up with those who brought her and with him who begot her. And with him who strengthened her in those times. But from a branch of our roots, one shall arise in his place, who shall come with an army 
enter the fortress of the king of the north and deal with them and prevail. And he shall also carry their gods captive to Egypt with their princes and their precious articles of silver and gold. And he shall continue more years than the king of the north. Also the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. However, his son shall stop strife and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall suddenly come and overwhelm and pass through them. He shall return to his fortress and stop strife. And the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall master a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hand of the enemy. When he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up, and he will cast down tens of thousands but it will not prevail. For the king of the north will return and master a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come at the end of some years with a great army and much equipment. Now in those times many shall rise up against the king of the south. Also violent men of people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fail. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mold and take a fortified city and the forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist wow so we have lysimachus cassander ptolemy and seleucus these are the four generals of alexander seleucus would go to syria take the syrian territory that's the no ptolemy would take south which would be like egypt mm-hmm. which would be the headquarters the major power by this time lysimachus and cassander didn't do much they got swallowed up and what we ended up with is Syria and all that under Seleucus and then the southern territory. So the Seleucian dynasty and the Ptolemaic dynasty in the south. So when you hear the king of the south, we are talking about Egyptian forces. King of the north, the Seleucian forces. So far so good? Yes. All right. Wars happen because men are selfish. They want power. They want dominion. Mm-hmm. Notice something. If the king of the north and the king of the south, why do you think God is referring to the solution as the king of the north and the people in um, Egypt as the king of the south? Why do you think that determination is used? King of the north, king of the south. To distinguish them? Yes, but it's a reason why. And with the north being more powerful in, in a sense? Oh, okay, maybe I should put it this way. If I live in Florida, right, where would North Carolina be? Would that be south or north? North. Where would New York be? North. So everything basically... Goes up. Is north, because mm. where? Where am I? I'm at the, the, the bottom of... Because so I'm, I'm in the south, right? Yeah. If I'm living, let's say, in maybe Virginia, where would north be? New York. Where would south be? Florida. Right. So then, depending on where I am, north or south would be different. You, you see what I'm talking about? Yeah. So now, Daniel is a Jew who lived in Jerusalem, Judea. So now we know why God is saying king of the north and king of the south because it is all in relation to Judea. Judea, Jerusalem. So then, if the king of the north is going to fight the king of the south, or the king of the south is going to fight the king of the north, it means they have to pass through Judea. Yeah, that territory. In other words, God's people are going to be shaken. Yes. 
back no. and forth, which yeah. is why later on it says that even rebellious men from your own people will join to fight. So the Jews will sometimes ally themselves with this power or ally themselves with that power, mm-hmm. hoping for freedom, of course, and, and sometimes they made the wrong choices, as was mentioned here. So that is why it's called King of the North, King of the South, because it is all in relation to God's people. So, so in many ways, it, it, it's an allusion to the instability the people of God will face because of the That's strife. That's the point. That's the point. So they're, they're, they're being tossed back and forth. If the king of the south is in power, then they gotta serve this one. If the king of the north, they gotta serve. Their allegiance is always being tested back and forth. While they are, while they themselves are trying to maintain an identity for themselves, there's these wars that are raging in which they are gonna be affected. And sometimes, like I said, they will choose the wrong people to ally themselves with. And, and that's, that for me really speaks to what, what we see in the world today. Because I think in many ways, even as believers, we do find ourselves trying to align ourselves with certain forces who we think are going to prevail. And more often than not, we find that we, our choices are not necessarily the ones that are going to prevail. And, and we find ourselves on the losing side. And so even as a believer, you, you do find yourself being pulled one way or the other. Yeah. And that's a thin line to walk, a tight rope to walk as God's people wear. We could be loyal to government, loyal to power, loyal to system, yet not be identified with it. Are, are we? Yeah. Like Jesus said, you must be in the world, but not of the, the world. Yeah. You're not a product of it, but you are, you support its, its best parts. Again, Daniel is, his own personal experience is meant to be a microcosm, a sort of example, a model, a model yeah. for what God's people should be overall. I'm a Jew. I love my, my people. I'm praying to God even every day to restore his people. Even when there's a law that says I shouldn't pray, what do I do? I pray. I pray. Yet but, I serve diligently. Yes. That's the point. So that even the king who made that law recognized it was an unjust law because it affected me. That would be something else. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Joel? Because our personal integrity speaks for itself against any kind of uh, objection or any kind of, uh, oppression. Yes. Like maybe in a king, in, in a country where people must work or must go to school on a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. But because of the integrity and the diligence of the Assembly Adventists or the Sabbath keepers in that country, even the government says, you know, this is not a good law. We need to change this law because these people are being affected. The only. And there are people who are important to us. Yes. There are people who are, uh, making this place better for us all. Hallelujah. Yeah. The only reason Darius had a problem with that very law that he passed, which he thought was a good law, was the fact that it affected Daniel. Could you imagine that? He passed the law. He thought it was a good law. Yet he tried to undo the law when he recognized it was, it would affect Daniel. Daniel. That would be the greatest testimony. That is a line that we have not been able as a church to really walk, mm-hmm. to be loyal. And diligent and serving those I must serve, yet not being identified with it, not being a part of it, to keep my independence as a Christian while still being a loyal citizen. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Hallelujah, yes, that's the point. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. One little point that must be mentioned here, when there is war, we try peace. We see it happening right now with Russia and um, Turkey getting around to say, hey, let's have peace. America try to broker peace between Israel and Palestine. We, because we want peace. 
and we try many things. Marriage was one of the main ways kings back then sought peace. In other words, my daughter marries your son, so now we are relatives, so mm-hmm. we will live in peace. They tried that here, and it didn't work. In Europe, they tried that too, intermarriage. At one point, almost every monarch in Europe was related. Did you know that? Mm-mm. Yes. But somebody was a cousin of somebody because of that intermarriage. Intermarriage meant we are now connected. Connected. So we will live in peace. But it didn't happen that way. Mm. And we see here, again, it didn't happen that way either. So let's continue reading. So now we've seen Alexander, his kingdom breaks up into four kingdoms. And there's this constant battling between Syria and Egypt, the king of the north and the king of the south. Again, we see here God's sovereignty and his foreknowledge being evidenced. Mm-hmm. History, as we look back and, and we see all the scuffles that took place, show us that really God's foreknowledge is right on button and God's sovereignty. So let's go from 16 to 28. But he who comes against him shall be according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his power. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones. With him, that shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it. But she shall not stand with him or be for him. After this, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall take many. But a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end, and with the reproach removed, he shall turn back on him. Then he shall turn his face towards the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in the anger or in battle. And in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably, even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers shall have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a great, very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Wow. Mouthful. It is. It says so much in Daniel chapter 11. At this point, the Syrian and Egyptian powers are beginning to wane in their power. And even as they are battling and fighting, Rome is beginning to grow. From just a small outpost, it begins to to gain power and, and to become more prominent on the world scene. And this is what we see happening here, that intrigue that's happening with, with the Roman people in their allegiance with Egypt. This is like the time of Mark Anthony. You might have heard about Mark Anthony and, and Cassius and Julius Caesar. All of this is being intertwined here, that in back and forth, the allegiances, etc. Now, it talks about someone 
who raises taxes. Many people believe that was Caesar Augustus. He was Julius Caesar, we mentioned that before. Nephew, who was adopted by Julius Caesar. And after the triumvirate, we talked about the decemvirate, the ten men, the ten elders of Rome who set the laws for a while that ruled Rome. Then we had the triumvirate, the, the three leaders, Mark Anthony, Julius Caesar, and the other ones escaped my mind, who were like three rulers. Then Caesar Augustus. He wasn't Caesar Augustus then. He came in as when Julius Caesar died and he began to gain authority to ask for Caesar's authority. And people didn't expect much from him. He was the one who started raising taxes. He was the one who wanted to be worshipped like a god. Actually, it's with him that the emperors of Rome, the Caesar, began to be worshipped as gods. He was once called the son of God and some titles, Pontifex Maximus. He took names upon himself, just like the little horn power. But this is Caesar Augustus. So that Julian Claudius, Julia Claudian dynasty that started with Julius Caesar and went on to Nero is under the time when Christ was born. Christ was born with the second emperor to rule, which was Tiberius. So Caesar Augustus was the first person who became like Caesar, emperor, ruler, supreme ruler. Then the next one was Tiberius Caesar. That is the one, the contemptible person mentioned here. And it goes on and on till we get to Nero who was the last sole emperor of that power and might of that Julio-Claudian dynasty in about 40, 68, sorry, AD. So what we are seeing here is the rise of which Rome? Pagan or papal? Pagan. Pagan Rome. It talks about the glorious land. Which land is the glorious land? It talks here about they would go towards the glorious land. Think about again. Who are the people who are the center of all of this? Who God's people. Yes. So which would be the glorious Ju land? Judea. Then? Yes. Palestine. Even today we say, I'm going to the holy land. Mm -hmm. Because that's where... So geographically, that represented what God was going to imply in a larger context. And, and what could that be then, Pastor? Because I'm, I'm sure now in the larger context of history, are we still talking about a particular location in time? In space, no. In fact, what we believe, those of us who live in the New Testament dispensation, is that all of these promises and prophecies that dealt with Israel as a single nation are now applied to the Israel of God throughout the world. The world. So the glorious land is no longer this spot in Palestine where every Jew prayed towards, etc. The glorious land now would be God's kingdom that he wanted to bring to the earth when the new Jerusalem descends back to earth mm -hmm. and God's people from all over the earth will now congregate in Jerusalem, the new uh, Jerusalem. So that glorious land is referring to what God's plan was for Israel, what that piece of real estate would have been mm -hmm. had they lived in God's way and under God's protection. So that's the glorious land that we are talking about. That's where Messiah was killed. And this little horn power would now be arising. So let's continue on. Let's look at maybe 29 until I tell you stuff. That goes, 
At the appointed time it shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. And forces shall be mastered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Quickly, let me just jump in here a, a moment. This here is referring up to the destruction of Jerusalem. It talks about the abomination of desolation and the forces will rise up and desecrate the temple and fortress. We are talking here about AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. This now is where we are beginning to have a transition because it says, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple. Then they will set up the abomination with flattery. That word is important. He will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Flattery and corrupt those who violate the covenant. Who would violate the covenant? If it's like those who violated the covenant, who are we referring to? The people who, are, who don't know God. The, the the outsiders. Would it be outsiders who would would the covenant be made with outsiders or insiders? No, with, with the Israelites. Right. Who know the, the the covenant, but also with the people who may not know the the full meaning of what the covenant implies. Well in this case, we there's a slight there's a transition that we are seeing happening here from pagan Rome to, to people Rome. Rome. Yeah. This flattery is referring to Constantine's so called conversion. That whole process by which there was persecution of the church but the church kept growing and then Rome began to say, no, we got to change our tactics here. So this flattery is talking about corrupting those who violate the covenant, meaning God's people who begin to compromise, who begin to court the favor of the, the law, of the, the power of the government. And, and by that they abandoned the, pu the purity, sorry, of the faith. But the people who know their God will firmly resist that the faithful people of God through the ages, especially through that transition from the Christian church to the papacy and even through the Middle Ages, those who stood firm. In the early days, it would be people like Paul and the apostles who stood firm against any encroaching. After that first wave of the apostles died out, there were other leaders that came into the Christian church who kept the word going, but gradually there's that encroachment until we have that flip when Constantine got baptized and the church now became officially pro-government. Yes, the church of the state. Continue. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 33, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fail, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them wide until the time of the end, because it is for the appointed time. Again, it is talking about the fact that resisting persecution and difficulty is difficult, that even those who are sincere, who know God, sometimes they get weary mm -hmm. and they give in, they, they fail and they fall. 
It says many who are not sincere will join themselves to them. When we get to Revelation, we would see where John says in the church of um, Pergamum and in, even in the church of um, Smyrna, sorry, that many will join themselves to them who are still of the synagogue of Satan. So that's what we are seeing here. People who join the church but who have not been truly converted. Continue. Then the king shall be shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the god of the fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a god of fortresses, and a god which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. At the time of the end of the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many sheep, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but there shall escape from this land Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of the palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. Like I said earlier, Joel, when we began this journey in the book of Daniel, that interpreting these prophecies... It's not really easy because in history, we can find, how should I put it, com- fulfillments of any number of these areas of the prophecies in different characters. Like this could have well been testified of the Roman Emperor Nero coming to his end. It could, it could really represent any of these other leaders at the time. However, we believe as some Adventists that this is referring to the papacy even in the time of the end, in this, before the second coming. This is why we say Daniel and Revelation are two books that go hand in hand because where Daniel leaves off, Revelation picks up, picks up mm-hmm. giving even more insight into this battle that is being waged here. We believe this refers to the papacy's domination. It's the mortal wound that happened and then its resurgence in the time of the end, as was mentioned here, at the time of the end, when it will once more attack God's people, persecute. So you might wonder, why does it talk about Edom and Egypt? Well, guess what? Egypt represents atheism and, and godlessness. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, who is God that I should listen to you? I don't know your God. So e- Egypt has come to symbolize, and we see this in in Revelation, atheism, godlessness, rebellion, outright rebellion against God. But Moab and Libya and all these other nations represent just paganism. People believe in God, you're worshipping, but you're worshipping false God, but they really don't know better. It talked about Ethiopia and the other nations coming 
in other words, a worldwide drawing of people towards this apostate power that has done everything that the little horn of Daniel chapter 7 and 8 has done, persecution, blasphemy, desecrating the sanctuary, and all of these things are just like what the little horn did in chapters 7 and 8. Meaning, therefore, that this is just expanding for Daniel's view the long trajectory of strife and conflict under which God's people will have to live. Both back then, even till today, God's people have been persecuted in some countries and are fearful for their lives. Even as we come to that time when man will be so desperate to find the answers to the world's problem, there will be this crown on one hand, return to God, which will bring a rise again of, of like the papacy. And there'll be another cry of who cares about God? There's no God for what is happening. And these forces will be battling and God's people will have to navigate. Will I lose my faith and turn from God? Will I remain faithful and not be um, deceived by all the philosophies and, and teaching that are out there? That will always be the challenge for God's people. How do we live amidst the opposing forces of godlessness on the one hand or false religion on the other? To remain true, even when everything around me is turning to pieces, that is the challenge. And this prophecy was given to Daniel so that his people in reading about it will recognize that their duty was to stand firm, to keep to the covenant of God, to recognize that as much as they wanted to return and things would return to normal, there will be all these conflicts under which they would go. It is for us today to see what they went through and remind us too that we too living in these days will have to go through persecution hard times. And as always, the question is, will I, like Daniel, be loyal and diligent, a good servant to those I must serve, while not being um, defined by this? where my truest loyalty is to God, where when I have to make a stand, I will make a stand. Like when Daniel prayed against, even when there was a law against it. How do we navigate that by each day? Like Daniel, purposing in our hearts for one thing, having friends to support us, and by daily living an, a life of integrity, of consistency, of serving God continually. If not, like mentioned here in the prophecy, some of us, even though sincere, will stumble and fall. And some of us will be deceived by the flatteries that come and will cause us to violate the covenant. Pastor, we we have a message for our listeners here as we come to the close of this ninth season. Um, and I wanted to, to give you a chance to be the one who delivers... Uh, this good, bad news that we sort of have in this moment? Yeah, you know, it's kind of almost, it's sort of almost emotional in the sense that we have come to be connected with this, in many cases, unseen audience. Some of our listeners, we know them personally, we have spoken to them, they have texted us, whatever have you. Others, we don't know who they are. And we feel a certain connection, yet you and I have decided after two um, full years of this that we would take a break to regroup, refresh ourselves and, and come back again, see what direction we want to continue going with the podcast and where God will lead us. So it is a, 
a sort of goodbye that may just be a temporary goodbye. Yeah, and, and you know, even as I look across from you, Pastor, I, re- I realize that this is something that touches you in, in a very special way. I equally feel the same way because, as, as again, as you've said, we have truly developed a connection with our, our listeners. And now as we come to the end of this ninth season, having done this for almost now uh, 25 months, um, it's uh, it's quite something, um, the journey we have been on. And here today, we uh, want to share with our listeners that we are intending to take a break after this because we feel uh, we need to refresh, reflect, and then restart uh, as as we shall be moved into the future. Definitely. So we, we want you to continue to pray for us, send us a note of encouragement even. We would really appreciate it to know that our labor of love has really resonated out there and has really helped you in your spiritual walk, in your appreciation of the scripture and even those who actually study these lessons as we have. We would really appreciate hearing from you and that you would keep praying for us as well. Yes. Uh, that, that is our greatest request that you keep us in your prayers uh, because again uh, for many who don't get to see us past uh, our friendship has grown over the last two years in fact this podcast has been uh, a grounds for us to really interact and connect as we have wrestled with uh, a, a whole range of issues really uh, through True. these uh, nine seasons and and so we we implore you to keep us lifted up uh, we, we will really value you dearly as our listeners and even as we take this break it was really because we feel that we need to again give this a new injection of energy and we hope that taking a break and really uh, again reforming our thoughts and our vision can be the means through which we are able to hopefully deliver even much more content that is better in quality um, and even in quantity amen